Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. The United States Army, like any army, should represent the people that it defends. Yet when that army is made up solely of volunteers, that creates challenges for those responsible for attracting and retaining those individuals who want to be all they can be. The army is not just a job, after all. It's an adventure. And even if every person who finds their warrior is an army of one, questions remain about how to find those people most likely to stay army strong long enough to make a difference. Enter Army Enterprise Marketing, which must figure out which strategies to pursue both to attract appropriate candidates and to grow the pool of such candidates for the future. It's hard work, and it is fraught with challenges real and imagined. Today on A Better Peace, we are delighted to welcome Colonel Matthew Lawrence and Lieutenant Colonel John Horning to discuss the myths and challenges with which Army Enterprise Marketing contends. Colonel Matthew Lawrence is communications professional at the Strategic Studies Institute here in Carlisle at the Army War College, and Lieutenant Colonel John Horning, Army War College Class of 2020, is Director of Marketing Execution at the Army Enterprise Marketing Office in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to A Better Peace, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. So I want to start with uh, the question of uh, myths or misconceptions that the public has about uh, the challenges of recruiting and about army marketing in general. Matt, I want to start with you. What do you think are the the biggest uh, misapprehensions that people have about army marketing? Yeah, uh, the, there's there's a lot about marketing itself that uh, that that are that are myths that pop up time and time again, and you hear them not just from people, but also people of influence throughout the, you know, in the country. Uh, the idea and really the brand that the army has been trying to break away from for years is that the, the army is the bureaucratic meat grinder, the underprivileged, as uh, Sidney Greenberg called it, uh, that we, you know, we overrepresent from the poor, uh, the rich aren't interested, the middle class is kind of apathetic towards it. And we're, we're basically, we're really compromising a lot to fill the army. Uh, and, and really this, this was based in truth back in perhaps the late seventies, but we made a lot of steps to, to change that over the years. And it's, it's not the case anymore today. I mean, really, when you look at the economic quintiles, uh, throughout the U S population, the richer, underrepresented a bit, but also the poor are underrepresented. And we really rely mostly on the middle class to, to, fill, the, to fill the army. There were compromises made in the early days of the Gulf War in 2005 when we were trying to build the army very, very quickly. Um, and we took a lot of people into the army that we shouldn't have. Uh, we, we, we made exceptions, gave a lot of waivers for civil convictions and so forth. Uh, we learned a lot from those mistakes. And we don't, we don't do that anymore. Actually, waivers are a lot tougher to get. Um, 
and, and, and really it's, it's a very high quality army with high quality people. Um, and actually probably the most intelligent army and best equipped that we've had in, in ever. Hmm. That's and go ahead, John, please. Yeah. I was going to say, Matt, that's a, it brings up an interesting sort of, um, dichotomy of what people think and certainly what the uh, general public may believe about the type of soldier or the type of person that enlists and, and what our actual target audience is thinking about it. Because one of the challenges that we're finding in our actual target audience, you know, those Gen Z individuals um, who are 16 to 24, let's say, um, they have this vision of the army as, as what we're calling distant stars this something where there's elite soldiers and such high performers that they have a hard time seeing themselves fit into that mold, that it's, it's too good or too hard, or they're not good enough to be able to live up to what they have seen, whether that be in, you know, cultural media references or, or the things that they have been exposed to. And that's one of the things, uh, one of the real challenges that we have in terms of uh, what we identify as some gaps that we have with this audience. We, we call there's a culture gap, a relatability gap, a trust gap, and a knowledge gap. Each of these things that, that Army Marketing is working on trying to reduce these gaps so that the uh, uh, consumer, the, the target audience that, that we're going after can feel a little bit more like, hey, this is something that I can be a part of. Uh, but you know, I think for a long time, as, as Matt rightly pointed out, there's a number of individuals who have been thinking, oh, the Army is for, you know, for somebody else, uh, perhaps at a lower station than me or my kids. But now we're seeing those kids who are even somewhat thinking, oh, the army is for somebody else who might be better than I am. Hmm. And that's a challenge. That, I could see that as a challenge. So I, I am curious to both of you, and uh, first to Matt and then to you, John, the, the question of the target audience. Does the army uh, operate from uh, an, an image of who that ideal candidate is and style its marketing towards that individual? Or does the Army offer a variety of messages to a variety of audiences? Yeah, there's a variety of messages going different directions for different segments of the market. Uh, you know, there's the obvious gender segmentation mm -hmm. that we do. We'll do geographic segmentation depending on what's going on in a local area. We'll also look at different racial, you know, different things appeal to different uh, racial backgrounds. And uh, then what we really look at is the psychographic marketing and yes. psychographic segmentation, where we look at behaviors and we say, okay, how can we appeal to people who have certain behaviors? So if you're, for instance, a high school athlete, uh, what's more likely to appeal to high school athletes in certain sports? Uh, and and really, all, all that's taken into consideration when approaching the market. Now, you don't necessarily get to do that if you have a, a major ad campaign. You've only got so many options to do that, uh, so many You've only got so much budget to put that together, sure. uh, and it has to include a lot of those market segments. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll make we'll make up a number of personas and try to get as many as we can and address the concerns of as many of those as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's really it, the army needs so many people; it's just not a monolith. Usually, every year it's between 125 to 140 thousand people that we have to get into the army alone. And so that's that's new people, Matt. So that's that new is recruits. That is new people, all components. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you'll often hear numbers thrown out for army recruiting, and that's usually only active duty. 
and it's only the enlisted mission. So on top of that, we've got another several thousand that we need for the Army Reserve. The Army National Guard needs somewhere around 40,000 enlistees every year. And then we have officer producing programs, ROTC. Those people have to be have to be attracted to the Army as well. And it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it's a the army is so diverse is I, th- I think it's diversity itself is what makes it tough to uh, to to make a broad appeal. Right. Well, and, and John, let me to to uh, to move to you, but also especially because uh, Matt mentioned ad campaigns. Right. So you're there in Chicago yeah. dealing with ad campaigns. Um, I tried to cram as many army recruiting slogans as I could think of into the first paragraph of my introduction. You see how they, how, how well they have settled into the public consciousness. And I am curious, how does the army select its slogan and how long does it keep a slogan before it decides that slogan needs to be replaced by something new? That's a great and incredibly timely question Yeah, uh, because we are in the midst of a brand platform redesign right now in which we hope to emerge from that process with a uh, with a new tagline and a way forward for the army that will be timeless Mm -hmm. uh, as uh, some certain other uh, campaigns have been in the past but also will serve us you know for many years into the future and 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 in a way that um, our target audience can connect with the army but also our stakeholders our veteran community our uh, current serving soldiers uh, and others can also identify with mm-hmm. the process in doing that is, you know, it's it's a long process because you you don't want to get it wrong. Uh, there's a lot on the line. Um, the Army is uh, clearly a, a historic and important institution and a lot of people have a lot invested in it. And so it's a, it's an important undertaking. It's also a challenge because not only are we an institution and an organization, uh, so an organizational brand but we're also an employment brand. Mm-hmm. We're recruiting soldiers to come in either either for a job or a career in our you know in our forces, and so um, the work that we're doing has to serve to both be an employment brand and an institutional organizational brand. Sure, I, this may be an unfair question, but I got to ask both of you: is uh, since the army, of course, is the biggest of the services. Um, it's marketing, uh, obviously the numbers that Matt mentioned about the number that have to be brought in, in what ways does the army view its marketing mission as different from that of the other services where people, uh, civilians think about all of the armed forces with recruiting. They think that marketing is marketing, but how, how does the army view its marketing challenge in any ways distinct from that of the other services? Well, I'll take the first stab at this. Um, Clearly, the other services, uh, you know, they're 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 important to the nation, uh, without a doubt. But we do. I mean, they are our competitors. They are direct competitors for a very similar candidate who um, may be already propensed, or at least can be convinced to be more propensed through our marketing efforts uh, to be a part of uh, an institution or an organization that is service connected. You know, in some cases, we're competing with. Um, folks are from the other services, or we might be competing with organizations that can provide that same benefit to an individual through being a first responder, or maybe working in some other uh, type of service, whether it's in medical field or whatnot, uh, a type of an experience for them as well. That's actually a good thing to start with. But let's go to let's go to you, Matt. What do you think? uh, What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I, I think the challenge that we have face in the Army is that our brand is not nearly as as tight as the other forces. It, we, mm-hmm. When you think of the Marines, it, a lot of people look at the Marine ads and ask, well, you know, why aren't ours as as uh, as violent and kinetic as theirs are? And really, right. it's because they're appealing to a very, very specific type of person uh, mm-hmm. who, who who's att- attracted to that. The Air Force is going to attra- is going to appeal to you if you have an interest in technology. Uh, the the Navy has has had the the brand position of, of being high tech, maybe not as high standards as the, as the Marines, but you're going to go places and you're going to see the world. And the Army really embodies all of that. And because we embody all that and so much more, it's, it's very hard to identify who we are and what we are with, this, with a single line, with a, with a single appeal to you know, the, those, those 130, 140,000 people that we need every year. Well, um, you already mentioned, John uh, and, and Matt, both of you, that uh, things are different than they were 15 years ago. Um, but I am curious, what changes or what what has developed in Army marketing in the last, say, five years? Have there been any changes in how the Army is approaching its challenges? And, uh, and has there been any change in results? Yeah, I can. For, first off, I would say that one of the things that the Army has done is to establish the organization in which I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to the Army Enterprise Marketing Office being established two years ago, uh, there was a, a, a different organization with this responsibility. Um, and there were some challenges that came um, from the standpoint of being able to adequately uh, show from a return on investment perspective, what exactly the taxpayer was getting for the, the marketing budgets that the Army had. Um, as the decisions were made to adjust course, and one of the things that our office does is, is invest significantly in data infrastructure. And so a lot of folks might think of marketing as just sort of the art, um, the, when I say the art, the, the creation of the advertisements, the you know the jingles and songs and, and whatever you see, uh, you know, on TV or on YouTube, but that's only half of what marketing truly is. And the other half is really science and it's data science and it's data infrastructure, especially in the years that we're in now with the uh, ubiquitousness of, of the internet and Google and the way Google is as an ad platform or Facebook is as an ad platform, which relies incredibly heavily on, on data analytics, not just you know, pitching a a, uh, a creative jingle, you know, in, in a in a meeting, and then putting that on TV, but really being able to see what our prospect's journey is, uh, and and all of these things are uh, enabling us to see how somebody interacts with our marketing activities at various stages, and providing us opportunities to see are we getting return for what we thought we were going to get with that? What adjustments do we need to make or where do we need to adjust how we're um, communicating with them? But the data infrastructure piece has been a huge investment from this new organization, the Army Enterprise Marketing Office, that we didn't have previously. Mm-hmm. And would you say, so Matt, I, I, I see you getting ready to answer because I, I, I wanted to ask you this, is, uh, is, it, uh, is the cost of Army marketing worth it? to the taxpayer the the cost is worth it when you look at the alternative uh-huh. yeah <laughs> the alternative ahead. is Good. we we draft a military yeah um, 
when you look at that, we mentioned that number of propensity, and mm-hmm. I'll define that for you. Uh, there's there's an office in in Washington D.C. that measures what propensity or measures propensity amongst a youth in America, and that's the percentage of youth that say. 17 to 24 years old that say, I will either definitely join or probably join the military in the next few years. And if you take that number, the, the, the size of the population of recruitable youth, 17 to 24, take out all the people that are ineligible to serve for whatever reasons, take out those who are unwill, you know, unwilling to serve that aren't propensed for military service, when you wh- and you whittle this all down, and there's about 180,000 people a year. Well, if that's all we're going to get every year, if that's all that's available to join, if the, those propensity numbers are solid, we're not going to make numbers. There were two, there were 234,000 people that were recruited for all four military services, all their components last year. Um, so what we have to do, and especially the Army, since we have the largest mission, we have to go beyond that number, that propensity number. So they're not just going to show up at the door. Um we have to reach out to them and we have to get them interested in taking a look at the military and start what John mentioned at that, that consumer journey. Uh, we talk about this a lot. It, this is a, if you, if you put it in business terms, the product itself is an army enlistment and, you know, somebody has got to make a decision to sign on the dotted line to make a commitment for that enlistment. It's a complex sale. It's not something as simple as Coke, where if you're unhappy with it, you can just, you know, move on and do something else. You're giving a significant portion of your life, your time, your, you know, your your effort to, you know, to this institution if you decide to, if you decide to join. So people have to be educated about that. Um, The alternative is making a draft. And really, a, the Army has had a peacetime draft only once in its history, and that's during the Cold War, uh, up until, ni- you know, and even in 1973, we were embroiled in Vietnam. So uh, the time period between 1950, a little bit before the Korean War, and then from 1953 when the Korean War ended until the Vietnam War started in 1964. Other than that, that that's the, it's the only peacetime uh, time we've had a draft it's really not terribly compatible with, with the nation. Um, and every time I look at the draft and I fail to see how the draft can be done fairly. Uh, we, we've heard various leaders over the years talk about how we could, um, talk about how a draft could get people re-energized and interested in national service and defending the nation. But the problem is, we have 71% of American youth that are ineligible to serve as a, you know, for one reason or another, they're, they're not medically qualified. They're not, you know, they have civil convictions so on and so forth that, that prevent them from serving. Well, that's not going to change tomorrow if you have a draft and how is that going to get them involved? It's going to rely on those people who are eligible and uh, it's, it's going to be very, people would find themselves uh, self-selecting out of that just because of the, the arbitrary nature of what it would be. For sure. I feel like the draft would even uh, probably cost us more than we would think it would, maybe more than our marketing budget, because if we're bringing in 140,000 new soldiers, imagine the costs associated with bringing in now because we drafted everyone, a million soldiers, because everyone had to serve in some capacity, even if it was only for a short period of time, maybe six months or a year. I'm not sure how that might work. 
Um, but the costs associated with being able to house and clothe all that many people who essentially were unneeded towards the mission, but rather used just to create a sense of equity of service in, in the population would probably be much more expensive. That's, a, yeah, that's there, a, there, an excellent observation. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Yeah, there, there's additional cost to that. But when you when you say you're going to bring in more people, if you do a draft, it's probably going to be for a shorter time period. You're not going to retain as many people uh, at the end of the at the end of the draft or end of the draft period in 1973, when we still moved to an all volunteer force, our retention rate was 18 percent. Today, we're almost near 60 uh, before COVID hit, which is a, a little more reliable, we were we were hovering around 54%. That's knowledge that walks out the door. That's a new soldier you have to train to replace that old soldier. And then we start looking at things, well, we bring in people who aren't necessarily ready for service. We're going to injure them more quickly. We're going to bring a lot more. We're going to have to train a lot more than we're talking facilities, a training, increasing the size of the training base, uh, increasing that 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 training portion of the army, um, there's a lot of costs associated that really aren't usually discussed. Sure. That's a very good observation. Now here's a, if I may move in a slightly different direction, because I was thinking about you talking about, uh, the army's competitors, uh, the other services, but I'm also thinking, and we won't, we, you know, I, I don't worry. I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're fully in on being joint here at the, at the better piece. So I'm not going to ask you to say anything, make any invidious comparisons, but I am curious. Um, the flip side of competitors is who are the army's, let's say, models for marketing, right? I think of the United States has a large military and um, I don't, I, I know other countries that have volunteer forces. Um, they have to market their forces too. Um, and so I wonder, you know, in what ways the army, uh, army marketing uh, communicates with other uh armed forces. But I'm also curious, does army marketing, you know, sort of secretly or overtly, um, have any other products or services that are marketed that it looks to as an, as a, uh, as an example for what they can do, or does the army think of itself as completely sui generis, uh, in drafting and in, in recruiting people? I'm not too sure exactly what they look at in, in, in the Army Enterprise Marketing Office today if they, uh, they rip others off. Uh, John can better answer that. But I, I will it's, it's tell called, you. It's called research, Matt, when you when <laughs> it's research, right? Well, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I do notice, I do notice that in the Marines ads, they ran an ad called the, the, the Battle to Belong. That's part of their mm -hmm. Battles One campaign. And the influence behind that looked very, very similar to a British ad that had come out about a year and a half prior to that uh, in, in a, uh, uh, their campaign called Belonging. So it, it, while we wouldn't necessarily take something, you know, hold lock, stock and barrel, there are some influences uh, that, 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 that are used from time and time again. I mean, what does work in Britain is probably not too far about it from what would work here. Because they have a very similar, very similar structure to their military, although theirs is quite small, quite smaller. And John, what what do you think about that? The yeah, I'd add. Uh, well, first off, we're very uh, joint minded in the in the Army Enterprise Marketing Office from a sense of cooperative with the other services and sharing information on 
what's working, what's not working. There clearly are competitors for recruits, without a doubt. And I think that we all view each other in that way. Having said that, we also come together routinely as a joint force to share information on the market, the dynamics, what's happening, share challenges, share successes. As a matter of fact, just this week, I was speaking with the folks in the Marine Corps office about Google AdWords uh, and successes and or challenges that we have to make sure that we're not bumping up against each other. And that within services, we're not bidding the government's prices up based on our activities. So we're very cooperative in that manner. But it would be, um, yeah, silly to say that you know, we certainly don't have respect for the Marines' longevity and their, and their uh, communications and what they've been able to do. We also recognize some great executions that have come from the Navy here recently. Uh, and I think that we probably all look to each other for uh, probably somewhat of just admiration and, and of jobs well done, but also in looking for things that are working and what we can borrow off of each other. So uh, what do you consider, we talked a little bit about the challenges for the future, the idea of the shrinking population, the, uh, the, the, the population that we would draw from or the army would draw from. Uh, what would you each consider to be the single biggest challenge that army enterprise marketing faces going forward? I think the biggest challenge for us right now is in communicating the Army's benefits to our target market in a way that's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. So there are several things that are very important to Gen Z that they perceive that the Army doesn't do a good job of delivering, but is very important to them. And there are certain uh, benefits that they deem are not as important to them, but feel the Army does a great job of delivering. And that's kind of a, um, there's a gap issue there because we're doing a great job at delivering in their perception on things that aren't as important to them, but we're not doing quite as good a job delivering on the things that are. But the reality is those things, the army, the military service in general, but the army specifically where people are our most important asset, we do deliver those things. They just don't know it, which means we've got uh, you know, a knowledge gap in the sense that the the audience doesn't know some of the things of what a soldier's life is about and what life in the army is about, uh, and that's on us to to close that gap through our communications and through our efforts. But uh, that knowledge gap and, and and not delivering on what is perceived to be important um, to our audience is going to be a, you know it's a huge threat. Can I ask for one example of of something that the army that people think is important that they don't feel that the army is delivering? Purpose. Mm. For Generation Z, purpose is an important thing to them. Uh, you look at how they are choosing brands and products that are associated with a higher purpose. I'm just drawn to. Uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal and his pizza company talking about pizza with a purpose. He understands or they are understanding it right now, the dynamic of Gen Z and its purpose is important. What is the court? What is the company, the brand accomplishing in addition just to delivering them or whatever particular product? Well, the army's purpose is immense, enormous, important. It clearly has a purpose. We defend the nation uh, and the constitution and the American way of life. But that's not apparently coming across to Generation Z in a way that has been impactful to them to see that if I joined into this organization, too, I could deliver on having a higher purpose. See, that's interesting. Good. Thanks, John. Matt, what do you think? I think our biggest challenge is dealing with the risk 
uh, is is getting them to understand what that risk of service is because risk is the number one uh, the number one barrier the number one concern of prospective recruits. Uh, about 70% of them think that they're going to be damaged in some way, shape, or form, whether it's physical, uh, you know, mental, or in the, with their employment prospects. You know, the, and, and it's what they see on television. It's when the, uh, the tireless advocacy of, of groups like the Wounded Warrior Project, you know, they do important things, but, and, but they, what's really important is that's not the norm. That's mm. not the norm. The risks, the risks of service, are far less than than it seems in popular culture. Uh, but you know, then it, it's it's a lot more fun to watch a movie and a lot more exciting to watch a movie like Lone Survivor, where there, there's you know combat and people are getting hurt and killed, uh, than than it is to watch about a movie about a, a warehouse that's operating very well, uh, mm-hmm. where you're not going to have that. It's just, it, it's a, it's a dichotomy of what we do. There's that's in the army so big. There's so many, uh, there's so many opportunities beyond that combat mission. Um, and that's, the, that was one of the reasons we, we had a campaign, uh, a couple of years ago, warriors, it was called warriors wanted that was launched in 2018. Um, you can, you can see that, that, just kind of fell into those preconceived, those preconceived notions about military service, and it was very combat focused. Um, mm. And and what we found out is, hey, it played really well within the force. The the, the mm-hmm. soldiers loved it, the, the leadership loved it. Uh, but when it went down to the people who weren't in the force, it just reinforced those misconceptions that they had, and it performed actually very poorly. And was was replaced by what we have now, which is what's your warrior, which is more focused on what you can do in the military. So, so basically, sometimes the army has to say it's not just an adventure; it's also a job. <laughs> in short, yes. In short, yes. All right. Um, so, we're just about at the end of our of our of our time, but I want to ask each of you, um, what's next? Uh, what's what what challenges lie before you? Are you uh, ed, ed staying in your current position? What are you going to be doing uh, in the next year or two years going forward? I'll start with you, John. Um, well, I plan to be here in the Chicago office uh, for the next several years, leading our execution team, uh, where we're responsible for the actual creative development of uh, television and internet advertising, our social media campaigns. Uh, we also buy our national and local media and then uh, run GoArmy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty broad portfolio. And our, our big challenge, frankly, at this point is the fiscal year 22 enlisted recruiting mission. Uh, it, uh, we have an increased mission number. Uh, right now, recruiting command is experiencing a lower than typical delayed entry pool. And we're also facing um, what we're internally sort of calling the COVID cliff coming up in June, where uh, June of 2020, a lot of soldiers re-enlisted because of the prospects of what was going on in America in terms of employment and getting a paycheck when when COVID was at its highest for uh, prior to immunizations being available. Well, those re-enlistments are coming up here in June of 2022, and uh, we're going to have a challenging time and making sure that uh, you know we can continue to meet our mission, even in the face of perhaps some lower retention percentages as a result of that. Interesting. Thanks. How about you, Matt? Well, I, I'm actually moving on. I'm within nine months of retirement. So I do teach a course here at the War College called Manning and Marketing the Military. I'm 
I have the pleasure of doing that one more one more time, one and more time. Uh, then I'm going to probably take my skills somewhere else, probably in the Washington D.C. area. All right. Well, John Horning and Matthew Lawrence, I want to thank you both for joining us for this discussion on a better piece. I know that there's a there's a lot to think about for how uh, how a free people defend themselves uh, in, in part by making the free choice to uh, be part of the defense of the nation. And uh, we appreciate your efforts in doing that. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing future successes for Army Enterprise Marketing. And uh, so thanks for joining us on A Better Peace. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all of our programs and send us suggestions for future programs. Please subscribe to A Better Peace if you have not subscribed already. And once you have subscribed, please rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice because that's how more people can find out about us. We are always interested in broadening the community for conversations like this one. And even though this conversation is over, we look forward to welcoming you to conversations in the future. And so, until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.